Well, again, I'm grateful for the opportunity to come and and share with you from the Word of God, Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And while you're turning there, let me just say that I'm kind of bummed out a little bit this morning, not because I'm here, this is amazing, but because I won't be able to be with you next weekend at the retreat. I'm, I'm teaching all weekend, and, uh, and boy, I'll miss you. <laughs> it sounds like it's going to be a great thing. Um, but uh, that's next week. <laughs> Today, let's come to the Word of God and see what He has for us. This is a really cool story, and... Uh, and one of the things that's really great about the scriptures, you, you have these stories, and you know, we, we, we sometimes we teach them to children in Sunday school and things like that, and, we, and we, we think of them in a very simple way, almost like they are just for children. And then, you know, we come as adults and, and read these things and realize the, how much there is for us as well. So Mark chapter 2, verse 1 says that it was a few days later when Jesus again entered Capernaum. The people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, Some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Indeed. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier? to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And he got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. And this amazed everyone. And they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. I don't imagine they had. (laughs) Lord, what a great story. Uh, Wow. Uh, Use it, Lord, to speak to us today. Show us something of of yourself. Build our faith, we pray, uh, as we hear this story again. For your sake, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So a few years ago, the singer Bruno Mars uh, recorded a song uh, where he promised that he would catch a grenade for you. He would step in front of a train for you, put his hand on a blade for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
the yeah, yeah, yeah part meant that he really, really meant it. <laughs> I don't know if you've heard that song. I, I've heard it from time to time. It still comes on the radio every now and then. And once in a while, I ask myself, you know, do, would I ever do anything like that? Like, is there anybody in the whole world that I would catch a grenade for? <laughs> you know, I mean, it's hyperbole, but it makes you think. Uh, thankfully, most of my friends don't put themselves in the position too often where such heroism is expected of me. <laughs> but the guy in this story, you know, he needed his friends to step up. He needed his friends to uh, do something extraordinary on his behalf. I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm thinking about this. I, sometimes these stories in the Bible, uh, we read them too quickly. And, and the thing about these stories is they're told in a very simple way, very, very sparing with the details. And, and sometimes you just have to slow down and imagine, <laughs> you know, and think of what it must have been like to be in these positions and what was going on in the hearts and minds of the various characters. And this story is incredible. I mean, first of all, I'm thinking about the fact that this paralyzed man, he's a young man, Jesus called him son, which suggested youth. So he's young. And he's got friends. I mean, I've known disabled people and, and, and uh, tried to befriend some. And, and, and you know, it, it's a hard thing when you're not physically whole uh, to, to have friends even. But this guy had four friends who were willing to go to extraordinary lengths uh, to, to bless their buddy. I mean, these guys were indefatigable. There was nothing that would get in their way. There was nothing that would stop them from helping their friend. This friend who, who had no opportunity to pursue this kind of help himself I mean, he had no motorized scooter, no wheelchair even. He had a mat. <laughs> a mat. That's what he had. That was his method of mobility, which made him dependent on others. Not a great way to be. Not a great way to live. They heard that Jesus had come home, home to Capernaum. They'd been hearing about Jesus. I, I think it's kind of interesting, actually, because later in, in Luke's gospel, we, we hear a story about Jesus coming back home and coming to the synagogue, and, and there's this sense that the people didn't actually respect him. Uh, he was the prophet without honor in his hometown. But here he's come home, and, and, and at least for some, there's, a, there's an interest level, right? Like Jesus has been in the news. They've been talking about him. Uh, there was a lot of stories going around about uh, the healings that he did, the way he had able, been able to bless people and, and make them whole again. The teaching that he offered. They said that when Jesus spoke, he spoke as one who, who, who had authority. You know, there was something different about what he had to say and how he offered it. And people wanted to hear him. And I don't know if this was a planned event. I don't know if, if there was like advanced publicity or anything like that. It sounds like he, he'd just come home and, you know, was in a house and started to teach and the word got out and the people started to crowd in so much that there wasn't any room left in the house. There wasn't any room left even outside the door. And by the time, you know, the paralyzed got there, guy got there with his friends, they were too late. 
I mean, imagine how that went down. They said, hey, you know, did you hear? Jesus is coming. They say he can do incredible things. Maybe he can help our buddy here. Let's, let's take him. Who, like, why not? <laughs> so they each grab a corner of the carpet, you know, and, and they carry him to the place, to the house where Jesus was. And, and, and you, you know, four guys carrying a mat with a guy on it. <laughs> You're not going to move very quickly. And by the time you get there, it's too late. The people are already there. They're filled the house. They're crowded out the door. There's no closed circuit television outside. There's no <laughs> broadcast. You, it, it's too late. Huh. Well, sorry, buddy. We did our best. Maybe another time. No. They said they start talking to me. What can we do? And we've come this far. We've got to get our buddy in to see Jesus. You know, I might have thought that maybe what they could have done is just sort of waited by the side of the road, you know, like, like near the door. You know, and the idea that at some point Jesus has to come out, you know, and, and maybe at some point he'll come out and pass this way, and then maybe. But that's too uncertain for these guys. Because who knows when Jesus is going to come out? Who knows which door he's going to come out? Who knows if he's going to come this way? we got to get our friend to Jesus. So they looked. I can imagine them going around the house looking for a way in, looking for another door, looking for a window of something. They find a, I don't know, a stairway or or something that led to the roof of the building. Now think about that for a second here. you got, like, good-sized, paralyzed young man, and you got a piece of carpet, and you got four guys, and you got to get him to the roof. First of all, why did you think that that was going to help? I don't know. (laughs) Maybe they thought there was going to be some way into the house from the roof. I'm not sure, but but how are you going to get this guy up there? I mean, think about it. Well, here, you you grab his arms, I'll grab his legs, push, come on. (laughs) It had to be awkward. They, they get him up somehow onto the roof. Now what do they do? They're looking around. Is there a way in? Maybe a doorway, maybe some kind of hatch or a ladder or something. <laughs> Nothing. Oh, man, buddy, I, we tried. <laughs> you got to give it to us. We, I mean, we got you here. We got you. Like, we tried. Maybe another time. Maybe, hey, you know, I'll go downstairs and see if I can squeeze in and maybe get Jesus to come in. No. No, these guys were unstoppable. Right? They, they are looking around now for tools. Maybe, I don't know. Here, we've got to find something. They start grabbing anything they can find and, like, hammering on the, 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 the ceiling, well, the, the floor of the roof, trying to find a way into the... I mean, who does this? <laughs> who, who just starts tearing at somebody else's property, grabbing the roof, and pulling things apart in order to create an access point for their friend to get to Jesus? It's incredible. Now, switch scenes. <laughs> Imagine yourself inside the house. You know, you're, you're one of the people that were just amazed to have got there to hear this man. I mean, I mean listen to him. Jesus, he's incredible. We've never heard anything like this. 
You got the teachers of the law. Their, their attitude's a little bit different. They're sitting at the back, you know, arms crossed. Taking notes, you know. <laughs> not, not the kind of notes that you, some of us take when we're listening to a sermon. They're, they're, they're taking notes on those things that they can use against Jesus later on. Did you hear what he said? Imagine you're the owner of the house. I don't know who it was. <laughs> you're the owner of the house, and, and it's kind of exciting. Right? Look at all these people in my house. <laughs> and look at Jesus is here in my house. And listen to what he's saying, and the people are excited. Oh, be a little careful. <laughs> that, that costs a lot of money. Just <laughs> Here, let me take that away. <laughs> Put it in a safe place. There's a crowd of people in your house. And they're listening to Jesus. And it's incredible. After a while, the, the message is just so gripping that you start to forget about, you know, the artwork on the wall or the vase over here that's going to get knocked down. Because all you can do is listen. Just listen. as bits of ceiling material come floating down. And then big chunks start falling. And even Jesus stops preaching for a moment as he, he looks up and everybody looks up and sees a hole forming in the roof. Some guy sticks his head through, a goofy grin on his face. And the hole gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And then there's this piece of carpet, this mat coming down with a man on it. And they're, they're lowering it down. And this man, he, he lands on the ground at the feet of Jesus with a little thump. And Jesus looks up. He's got this huge smile on his face. Because he looks at these guys, all four of them peering through the hole now. And he sees their faith. And he says to the man on the ground, Son, your sins are forgiven. Before he does anything about the physical need of this young man, he deals with the man's eternal need, his soul need. His need for forgiveness before a holy God. And I don't know what you think of when you, when you come to this text. Maybe you've read it before and thought about it. To me, this, this text speaks so powerfully about the nature of faith and how faith sees further. Faith sees further than the circumstances allow person who has faith sees more than what just is presented on the surface. These teachers of the law in the back of the house, men who were supposedly people of faith, who didn't have enough faith to see beyond the implications for their own position and power within their structures. But Jesus saw things different. These friends saw further than others. Faith sees 
further than the paralysis, the circumstances, the crowds, the hopelessness, those things that present on the surface. So we're talking about faith here. And there's a couple of things that I always think about when I think about faith. One is that faith has an object, always has an object. Second, faith always has a context. Always a context, an object and a context. Uh, faith's object, I mean, it's a simple principle. We, you know, faith is always in something or someone. Faith always has an object. It demands an object. Faith is not just this disconnected thing. It is always faith in something. And we understand that in simple terms. You understand it right now because you're sitting on these wooden pews. You're placing faith in these pews. You believe that these wooden objects are sufficient to bear the weight of your body. Now, you have good reason to believe that because you've probably sat here before. Some of you have sat in that exact same spot in that pew every single Sunday for who knows how long. It's like you have season's tickets to that spot. <laughs> you know? And, and you've, you've sat there before. You've seen others sit. You've seen objects like this before. You know they're built for the purpose. You can exercise faith and full confidence based on evidence, based on your experience, and you trust. And uh, so far, so good. I put faith in the airline last weekend when I flew home uh, from where I was at. And, and uh, you know, I mean, sure, things can happen, but uh, my experience is that every time I've got an airplane, they've got me home safely. Sometimes, you know, I have to be diverted. Sometimes weird things happen. Like, actually, last week I was on a plane, and the pilot comes on, and he says, I really regret to have to tell you this, and we've been working on this mechanical situation for the last hour, and... Uh, you know, that's not what you want to hear from your pilot. <laughs> but, you know, they pulled it out. It worked out. Fine. We landed. We had to land somewhere else, but it's okay. You know, we're alive and well. Faith was rewarded. Faith is always in something. Now, some of the times, the, the object of our faith is not worthy of it, right? Sometimes you put faith in something, maybe in a job, maybe in a person, maybe in a situation, and it proves not to be worthy of the faith. That thing, things don't come together the way you had planned or expected. So the object of our faith is very important. In this case, the object of our faith is Jesus himself, the incarnate God. The God of the universe who, as we celebrated just this past month, took on flesh and lived among us to show himself to us. We're talking about the God of all creation, the transcendent, eternal, glorious God of heaven who made himself visible in the person of Jesus who walked the earth and made himself available to us as the object of our faith. We're talking here in this story about not faith in each other, faith in Jesus for each other. We'll come back to that. Faith has an object. Faith also has a context. You always have to understand faith in the context of something. Uh, you know, in this case, in this case, the context describes friendship. This paralyzed man and these four friends. 
So the context for the expression of this faith is friendship in this case. It could be any number of things. You, that the context could be your employment situation, your family situation, your church, your life. Uh, in this case, it's, we're talking about the way faith is lived out in the context of friendship. This man and his four friends. I think it's really interesting uh, that when Jesus looks up and sees those men who lowered their friend to the ground, what does it say? He saw their faith. He saw their faith, and then he forgave the sins of the paralyzed man. That's incredible. I don't want to make too much of this, but I do notice, I can't not notice, that the faith of the friends was powerful for the object of their friendship. You know, the, so it was the faith of the friends, not, not so much the faith of the paralyzed man himself that led to Jesus to take this act. It's incredible. You know, sometimes when we think about our friendships with each other, we'll use the word faith. We'll say to one another, uh, you know, have a little faith in me. Have you heard that? Maybe you've said that. Have a little faith in me. And the problem is, the closer the friendship is, the less reason I have to place faith in that person. Like, it's like, dude, I know you. <laughs> like, why would I have faith in you? I know you too well, right? Like, I've seen your failures. I, I, I've seen who you are. I, I, faith in you? Are you kidding me? Faith in me? Are you nuts? Like, do you not know me? Do you not know how selfish I can be? Do you not, not know how prone I am to failure? I'll fail you. I mean, that's one. You can have faith in that. <laughs> you know, I'll mess it up. But this is the context in which Jesus is speaking. And I think the challenge here for us, and this is the really cool thing about these four friends and their, and their paralyzed buddy. It's not like they had faith in the paralyzed guy. I mean, I'm sure he was awesome. But... But it's not like, buddy, you know, I know you can do this. Like, like you just, like, we'll get you to Jesus, and then what, I need, what we need you to do is just to really, 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 really believe in yourself, you know? And then maybe you'll be able to stand up before Jesus and show him how awesome you are. Do you hear what I'm saying there? Because that's how we often play it. Like, we're coming before Jesus, so be strong, right? Like, like you're up, like, come on, be awesome so that Jesus will love you. No. They didn't have any faith at all, at all, in their friend's ability to walk and stand and be strong in the presence of Jesus. They had no faith in their friend at all in that way. They had all the faith imaginable in Jesus for the sake of their friend. Have a little faith in me. No, no. Have faith in Jesus for me. See the difference? It's not faith in your friend. It's faith in Jesus for your friend. Right? That's what we're talking about here. So I'm calling us, the text is calling us to use our imagination when we see one another, not to see what we present to each other on the surface but to see one another through the eyes of Jesus. To see each other 
as we are once Jesus touches us. Once Jesus heals us, forgives us, loves us, empowers us to see that in us. Not how awesome each of us are, but how awesome we are in Christ as he forgives and heals and makes us whole. Do you see the difference? The guys in the back of the room who are not so faithful. You know, Jesus does one of those, uh, you know, super mental things, you know, where he's like, I love the way the text says it. He, He recognizes what these guys are thinking in their hearts, right? They didn't say anything, but he knows uh, some kind of mental, capacity, you know, God capacity thing, <laughs> you know, what's going on in their hearts, and he speaks to them as if they had spoken it out loud, right? And he says to them, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is tougher, to say to the young man, you know, Stand up, be healed, take up your mat and walk, or to say your sins are forgiven. Which is harder? Well, that's actually a pretty interesting question. <laughs> it's kind of a trick question. Jesus loved to do that, by the way. <laughs> and he's messed with these guys. Which is harder? Think about it. To say your sins are forgiven? Well, I mean, that's pretty easy to say, isn't it? <laughs> you know? Your sins are forgiven, and who's to know, right? (laughs) I could say that to any one of you. Your sins are forgiven. Is it true? I mean, if I say to you, and you've been paralyzed your whole life, and I say to you, get up, take your mat, and walk, and you don't, then I look like a fool. (laughs) Which is harder? But Jesus here gets these things in the right order. He forgives the sin first, then he deals with the physical thing. In fact, for him, the physical thing, the healing of the body, is simply a way for him to establish his authority to forgive the sins. He's showing through this physical action that he is the God of the universe, the one who has the right to forgive the sin. But it's the sin issue that's way more profoundly important than the physical issue. And we mix that up a lot, you know, like we're so concerned about our physical realities and often when we come to pray, that's the first thing we go to, you know, I got this issue, that issue, whatever. And we should, we should pray about those things. Jesus does heal us of those things. But we've also known people, I've known people who've lived their whole lives with some kind of physical ailment God has never healed them of the physical thing, but God has healed them profoundly on a spiritual level. And they have lived a lifelong expression of faith that has been incredibly powerful for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the blessing of all those who come into their contact. We've seen that. We know that to be true. I mean, what do you see when you look at me? I hesitate. I shouldn't ask you know, a guy who's getting a little heavier than he ought to. You know, I, I, I wear these heavy, heavier frame glasses now. Uh, it it kind of disguises the fact that my eyes are sagging a bit and getting a little, you know. A guy that does okay, but, you know, sometimes mixes up his words or says something that doesn't make sense. 
guy that'll fail you, guy that's trying to love you. And I just would ask that you might have enough faith, even in this moment as I'm speaking to you right now, that you would have enough faith in this moment, not solely to hear what I'm saying to you, but to hear what it is that God is saying by his spirit through me. You know, to see further, to see beyond just this man, to see the God who's at work in this man, recreating and filling and empowering. And I promise you, I'm doing my best to see the same in you. You know? I mean, what did they see in Jesus, this miracle worker, this amazing teacher? At first, you know, as I said, he'd come to his hometown. They'd seen him growing up. <laughs> you know what that's like? Like, like when, you, when you've grown up in a place and they just can never not see you as that little boy, that little girl. In my case, little Kenty. <laughs> I still get that from people who knew me when I was young. You know? Jesus, who'd grown up in this town, now he comes with all this fanfare, this miracles, this teaching. And after he performed that miracle and said those incredible words, the young man took up his mat. He walked out in full view of them all, and they were amazed, and they praised God. They praised God as well they might, and they said, we've never seen anything like this. And all of a sudden, they understood that this was not just the little boy that they remembered in the synagogue, but this was the God of creation, the Word become flesh, dwelling among us. Every now and then, every now and then, God just kind of pulls back the curtain a little bit and gives us a glimpse. Like this morning, I was telling last, you know, I got up early and I went for a walk down by the ocean and, and it was so foggy and you could barely see, you know, 20 feet in front of you. You could just kind of make out the ships in the distance, you know. And I came up the hill here. It was, it was incredible. I, I come up to the top of the hill here on Crown Street and the sun broke through, you know. It's a metaphor. <laughs> Every now and then, God just pulls back the curtain and shows us something of his glory. Just enough to sustain our faith. He, he heals us. He blesses us. He teaches us something. He shows us something. And it's enough for now. As I said earlier, uh, my friends have uh, blessed me by not being too demanding on me over the course of my life. You know, I, I've seldom been in a position where my friends expected, as I said, such heroism from me. There, there, there was this one time, actually, when uh, three of us old friends, lifelong friends, we were climbing a mountain a couple of years ago, and uh, we, we got part way up the mountain, well, about three quarters of the way up, and it wasn't a big mountain, but it was high enough. And um, my one buddy was starting to express 
serious physical discomfort. Like he was hacking and wheezing and told us that he had just had this um, major thing like two weeks earlier and that he probably should have told us before we started this journey. And I looked at my other friend and we thought, we're going to have to carry this guy down the mountain. And he's a big guy. And we didn't have a mat. (laughs) Wow, fortunately he came out of it and toughened up and (laughs) managed his own way down, which is good of him. And that's the way we like to do it. Like we like to be strong for each other, right? Like you understand what I mean? We, We want to be strong in ourselves for each other so that the other person doesn't have to bear our weight, right? Because that's how we do it. We tough it out. Uh, we, we show up here and put a good face on. And um, are really careful what we say because we don't want to be that vulnerable. We don't want to show our paralysis to each other, our limitation, our weakness. But we can do better. This is the church. We are the people of God. We we can see further. By his word, by his spirit, by his truth, we we can be confident, not so much in each other's awesomeness, but we can be confident in the God who wants to bless us in part through the instrument of one another. You know what I mean? We don't have to have faith in each other. We have to have faith in Jesus for each other. And when we do that, when we start to see further, it's amazing what can happen. And I've seen it. I've seen it here. I haven't been here that long, but I've seen it here. As people have reached out to one another and showed their weakness, asked for help, and to some degree have found it. I, I, in my better moments, I've been willing to offer that kind of vulnerability of, in myself to others and, and receive the blessing of God, the, the power of Christ through my brothers and sisters. I'm praying that we'd see more of it here because it's what the world needs. It's what God has offered in Christ. Not so much faith in each other, but faith in Jesus for each other. When we do that, the world will rise up in praise and say, we have never in our lives seen anything like this. Lord, give us that kind of faith. Lord, help us to see further. See further than the facades that we build for one another. To see the truth in each other. Lord, to see past the weaknesses, the paralysis, the the pain and physical challenge, Lord. The obstacles. To see past the crowded rooms, the solid ceilings to be willing to dig deep, to be willing, the, the willingness to, 
to push beyond any obstacle for the sake of those we love because you have loved them first. Lord, help us to love with your love for each other. Not the imperfection of the love that we are capable of constructing on our own, but the love that you have first given us that we can then offer to others. Give us that love. Lord, we need you. And we recognize that we will find you in each other as we serve one another by your spirit and your strength. May that be, Lord, in this place and may others notice and recognize and come and crowd this place such that there's no room even outside the door. Lord, we, we would have faith to see that, faith to see further and to know what it is that you intend to do in this place for your glory, for the sake of your kingdom. In Jesus' name.